bless your family. Gosh, I'm always humble when you greet me because I know the calibre of so many of you. And this church are full of some just incredible people. And it's nice getting back together. Look, I've, looking around, there's a few faces I haven't seen for a little while. And it's just so nice to be back together. I'll confess I'm frustrated by the fact I can't hug everybody and that kind of thing. But it's nice to be. And it's nice to know that around Whangarei, there are groups of Church Unlimited people meeting, pressing into God and pursuing the kingdom of God as well. I trust in God will bless them in that. You and I might look around at the world right now and say, look, there's lots of problems in the world. And it's true. And you might be looking at changes within the government, within your workplace, within the home situation, all around the place. There are things that are happening and we say, gosh, that's a mess. That isn't the way it should be. And I even look at some of the mega churches around the Western church right now. You know, places like Iran, China, Christianity is just rocketing ahead. Miracles are happening. Dead are being raised. But places like in the West, where there are mega churches, where maybe 15% of the church does all the work, uh, they're really suffering. And there are some churches that have lost maybe a third of their congregation, huge, huge churches. And you can look at the problems in the church and outside the church and go, flippin' heck, darn, this is awful, and pack a sad and grumbling moan. Or you can look at the world situation right now and go, you know what? I've read about this season. It's just before the next season. And you know what? We were born for such a time as this. And we could criticize and grumble and complain and say, why don't they? Why shouldn't they? What are they up to? Or we could say, God, here I am. In the season I've been destined to be born and destined to live in, choose me. Choose me to make a prophetic difference. It's interesting for me over the years, I've, I've often preached prophetic literature. I've loved Preach Revelation word for word, verse for verse twice. Book of Daniel, Thessalonians, lots and lots of scriptures. Love Jesus' teaching in Matthew 24. He says, in the last days, you know, the, the signs in the world, extreme weather conditions will happen. And it will be like a lady coming into childbirth. I remember uh, reading some um, scientific reports many years ago. And as you know, the fig tree blossomed, that the nation of Israel blossomed in May 1948. Jesus said, some of the generation that see that event will still be around at the second coming of Christ. So we're at the end season prior to the seven-year season coming up. And, and since then, scientists tell us that the frequency of earthquakes has just ramped right up. There's always been earthquakes, but they're more frequent and they're more severe than ever before. And you can look at the weather patterns, you can look at the prophecies of Jesus and other Apostle Paul, um, you know, in Scripture, a book of John, a book of Revelation, sorry. And you can begin to see this is a season before the last season. And you and I were born for the season. We were born for the season. When I look at the church, it's struggling, and that upsets me deeply. When I look at church services or hear of numbers declining in the mega churches, one thing I notice. The churches that have a performance mentality, just a few people do all the ministry, they've taken the biggest hit. The churches that are relational and the churches where everybody does something for Jesus in the church or in the community, they seem to be holding their own. And I kind of wonder in this season when we're being shaken about, if God's not wanting to say to the church, church, you've all got a gift. You've all got a ministry. Might be in the church, might be in the community. But Romans 6 says you've all been given a ministry and a gifting. 
And I really believe, just as Tukbana said a couple of weeks ago, God knew when we would be born. And I find this season incredibly frustrating. But you and I were born for this season. And we could be grumblers, we could be complainers, we could be kick the tire people, or we could be people that say, you know what, God, down through the ages, you've raised up specific people for specific seasons to make a difference for your kingdom. Here I am. Choose me. See, I believe every one of us has a sphere of influence. It might be your grandkids. It might be the Ministry of Education or the DHB. It might be a business sphere. It might be on the school board or it might be in the church or some other sphere. But we all have a sphere of influence. And my prayer this morning as we open up the book of Nehemiah together is this. That God would just put his finger on you and say, you know what? You can make a difference in this day and this age. I'm raising you up to influence that group of people for my kingdom. Book of Nehemiah is about a man, a cupbearer, the 449 BC. Uh, this man was a man of God. He, he knew the word of God. He loved the Lord. And he served as a cupbearer. Now, cupbearers were people who had to sip the, the king's wine before the king drank it. And the idea was if, if the cupbearer died of poisoning, the king wouldn't drink the wine. He had to eat the king's roast potatoes before the king had his roast potatoes. And in those days, people often poisoned those in charge of a nation. And so generally speaking, it was just a slave person. And they were lowly people. But over time, this person always sat beside the king, always tasted the food first, drank the drink first, became a real confidant of the king. Over time, it became a recognized position. And the king would listen to the cupbearer. The cupbearer would be given the opportunity to speak and discuss things really fearfully, really respectfully, but with the king. And Nehemiah, in the position of captivity, was one of those people. We're going to look at his life this morning, just the first three chapters in the book of Nehemiah. And I want you to notice these five things. Nehemiah was a man raised up for his time to make a prophetic difference. The Bible says... We were born for this time. God knew us before we were born. The Bible says that we're each given a ministry and a gifting. We're all ministers. We all have a purpose. And I really believe God wants to raise you and I up for this time. And as we look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah, as he journeys with God, as he is obedient to the Holy Spirit, to God, he, he, there's five things that take place in his life that take him from someone who's just sad and upset to someone that changes a nation of Israel as used by God to influence thousands of people. I want you to just listen carefully this morning as I read from Nehemiah chapter 1 and recognize that what happened to him in his time, the same patterns and principles can happen to you and I in our time. It might not be that we're leading the nation. It might not be that we become great politicians. But there might be a set of grandkids. There might be a school. There might be a a committee, a work environment, a business environment that we will be used of God to shape in the season. If we just say, God, I hear your voice. I want you to use me. Nehemiah chapter 1 begins with Nehemiah getting incredibly upset. He hears about the needs back home, back in Jerusalem. He hears what a mess it is, and he gets incredibly upset. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through to 4. I am Nehemiah, son of Helikiah, and in this book I will tell you what I have done. 
During the month of Chislev, in the 20th year that Artaxerxes ruled in Persia, I was in the fortress city of Susa when my brother Hanani came with some men from Judah. And so I asked them about the Jews who had escaped from being captives in Babylonia. I also asked them about the city of Jerusalem. They told me those captives have come back are living all kinds of troubles. They're having all kinds of troubles. They are terrible. They are terribly disgraced. Jerusalem's walls are broken down. Its gates have been burned. When I heard this, I sat down and cried. Then for several days I mourned. Got the picture? He's a godly person. He's the guinea pig for the king, but growing in confidence and importance. He hears that Jerusalem, God's chosen city, this place where people are meant to live and worship God, and people are meant to look at them and say, look at the favor of God on those people. It's in ruins. People can't worship. There's no freedom. And instead of people looking up to believers, they're looking down on believers. Sounds a bit like our time to be friends. Sounds a bit like this generation too. And when he sees the problem, he's deeply upset and he cries and he mourns. I want to say this to your friends. In this day and age, God wants to raise up prophetic people, each one of us, in some sphere of influence. And the first thing that you'll often notice about your sphere of influence is this. You'll go into a meeting, you'll be looking at your family or your grandkids or your board or your business associates or your life group or something, and you'll say, this isn't the way it should be. I'm really upset. That person's missing out. This is wrong. Uh, These people aren't being looked after. This truth isn't being shared. Things are distorted. And you'll look at a situation and you'll go, wow, I'm so upset. Why isn't somebody doing something about it? And very, very often, that's the very first step of the Holy Spirit saying to you, you've noticed the need. You're deeply grieved by it. It ought not be like this, but I'm showing you it. I'm letting you be stirred up by it because as impossible as a situation might seem to you, I'm going to raise you up to make a difference in that place. Nehemiah sees a need and he cries and he mourns. And there'll be things in your sphere of influence right now where you say, it's just not right. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. Things, this is sad. And it could well be Holy Spirit saying, this is where I want you to serve. This is where I want you to do the impossible. This is where I want you to make a difference. Interesting, when we get upset by things, a common Kiwi thing to do is criticise. Say, blow that government, darn that Jacinda, you know, and we criticise this and we criticise that. What does Nehemiah do when he sees a need and he sits down and he cries and he mourns because things aren't what they should be? Nehemiah goes to the Lord and he prays. He doesn't grumble, he doesn't complain, he doesn't kick the tires. He says, I'm going to pray, and he goes straight to the Lord and prays. I want to read, I want to read to you his prayer this morning, because it's quite profound. When I pray often, it's God, help me here and help me help that person provide for this situation. That's not how Nehemiah prays. Listen to this. I went without eating to show my sorrow, and I prayed. Lord God of heaven, you are great and fearsome. And you faithfully keep your promises to everyone who loves you and obeys your commands. I am your servant. So please have mercy on me and answer the prayer that I make this day uh, for the people of Israel who serve you. 
I, my family, and the rest of your people have sinned by choosing to disobey you and the laws and the teachings you gave to your servant Moses. Please remember the promise you made to Moses. You told him that if we were unfaithful, we'd be, uh, you would scatter us among the foreign nations. But you also said that no matter how far away we were, you could ter- we could turn to you and start obeying your laws. Then you'd bring us back to the place where you've chosen to be worshipped. Our Lord, I'm praying for your servants, those you rescued by your great strength and might. Please answer my prayer and the prayer of your other servants who gladly honour your name. When I serve the king as wine today, make him please with me and have him do what I ask. Here's his prayer. Not God, it's a mess. What are you doing? Sort out the cinder, sort out this leader, sort out that person. That's not how he's praying. He goes, God, you're God Almighty. You can imagine him saying, God, you flung the stars into space. Everyone should bow their knee to you and everybody will one day, whether they believe or not. He prays an honouring prayer. Then he goes from there to a confessing prayer. Now, I think Nehemiah, from what I can learn of him, was a very godly man. He knew the law. He obeyed the law. He followed the scriptures. But he stands up and he prays, God, forgive us, our people, for our sin. Forgive us for turning away from you. Forgive us for disobeying your laws. Oh, you said this would happen if we did. Forgive us, God, because you promised If we repent and come back to you, you'll take us back and you'll restore us. Interesting. I've been in lots of prophetic prayer meetings with intercessors and intercessors, godly people like Nehemiah, godly people who love the Lord will often say, God, forgive us our sins. God, forgive our church, forgive our nation, Uh, forgive the people of Whangarei for ignoring you. And they take on board personally the sins of others. That's what he does. He he repents on behalf of the nation, repents on behalf of his people. And then he comes and says, God, when I go to the king, would you show me favor? You know, if he goes to the king, he's looking sad, he could lose his life. If he goes to the king and the king's upset with him, he's only a slave. King could get another guinea pig if he wants to. He really could. So it's a fearful thing to talk about real issues with the king. So he prays for his favor. Step number one. If you're seeking to be used by God in this generation and you get upset about something, take note of it, please. If you think this isn't the way it ought to be, say, God, are you talking to me? And go straight to the Lord in prayer. Step number two, step out in faith. Three, sorry, step out in faith. Nehemiah prays and he gets straight into action. Straight into action. Um, Nehemiah felt the need, he took it to prayer, he took responsibility for the people's sins, and then he acted. A prophetic person will act in faith. It says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year that Artaxerxes was king, I served as wine as I had done before. But this was the first time I'd ever looked depressed. Now, don't get depressed in the presence of a king who can take your head off it on a whim. It's a dangerous thing to do. So the king said, why do you look so sad? You're not sick. Something must be bothering you. Even though I was frightened, I answered, your majesty, I hope you will live forever. I feel sad because the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and its gates have been burned down. The king asked, what do you want me to do? I prayed to the God who rules from heaven. Then he shot up an arrow prayer. He's talking with the king and right in the midst of this, firing up an arrow prayer. 
that he responds straight away, carries on in faith. Then I told the king, sir, if it's all right with you, please send me back to Judah so that I can rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The queen was sitting beside the king when he asked me, how long will it take and when will you be back? The king agreed to let me go and I told him when I would return. Then I asked, your majesty, would you be willing to give me letters to the governors of the provinces west of the Euphrates River so that I can travel safely to Judah? I will need timber to rebuild the gates of the fortress near the temple and more timber to construct the city wall and to build a place for me to live. And so I would appreciate a letter to Asaph, who's in charge of the royal forest. God was good to me and the king did everything I asked. The king sent some army officers and cavalry troops along with me. And as I traveled through the western provinces, I gave letters to the governors. What does Nehemiah do? He sees a need. He gets really upset by it. He cries. He mourns. He doesn't kick the ties or complain. He goes straight to prayer. And when he's praying, he kind of gets a a strategy, a sense. This is what God wants him to do. And then he steps out in faith straight away. So often... We um, await for their ducks to be in order. Wait till the situation looks like it's going to be an easy road. And we keep having prayer meetings and we keep doing good things like that, waiting for the perfect opportunity to step out in faith. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He prays a simple prayer, then an arrow prayer, then he steps right out and he approaches the king and asks for the king for favour. In other words, he's saying, God, I've prayed to you. I've come to you humbly. I've prayed. Now I expect you to do something. And he moves on that faith. I really believe, friends, when we ask God to do something, when we make ourselves available to God, we don't wait for the perfect timing. It's probably never going to come. We do something small by faith straight away. We tell somebody what we're believing for, and we act with the expectation that God's about to answer our prayer. That's what Nehemiah does. He prays a simple prayer, and he says, Right, now, king, I need your help. Man, the king could take his head off for sneezing or looking the wrong direction or pulling a sad face, he says, no, I've prayed to the God in heaven. And I've asked for help now. I'm expecting to get help. He steps out in action. If God speaks to you today or any day about doing something to make a difference, do something by faith straight away. Confess it to someone and do something by faith straight away. The next thing we see in Nehemiah's life is his expectation of conflict, his expectation of struggle. Sometimes when we're heading in God's will, we know we're doing God's will. We're speaking up on that school board. We're doing something in the business arena. We know it's God's will. Uh, We think it's going to be an easy road. We assume if it's God's will, it's going to be plain sailing. Nehemiah didn't. Nehemiah expected some opposition. Verse 10. But when Samballot from Huron and Tobiah the Amorite official heard about what was happening, they became very angry because they didn't want anyone to help the people of Israel. Let me tell you this, friends. If you don't say, always lead to God, whatever works for you. Tolerance is the greatest God. If you don't say that stuff, which is what Kiwis think, and you say, actually, there is truth, and there's a different standard, and some things are right and some things are wrong, don't expect plain sailing. Don't expect that people just go, well, thank you very much for telling me I'm sinning. You know, it's not going to happen. Nehemiah expected challenge and conflict and battle, and he got it. And when we're stepping out to do something that only God through you can do, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be battle. Don't expect an easy road. Verse 19, when Samballot and Tobiah 
And Geshem the Arab heard about our plans. They started insulting us and saying, just look at you. Do you plan to rebuild the walls of the city and rebel against the king? I answered, we are servants of the God who rules from heaven. and He will make our work succeed. He's got a real faith expectation. So we'll start rebuilding Jerusalem, but you will have no right to any part of its property because you've had no part in its history. So Nehemiah does something really intelligent. He's prayed. He stepped out in faith. Now he goes and surveys the city. He walks around the city at night. He goes to the rich areas. He goes to the poor areas. He looks at the gates. He looks at the walls. He takes in the full picture. And then he comes back to the people. He does step number five. Step number five is this. He casts a vision. Nehemiah gets the people around them in this ragtag city where the believers are being looked down on, where they can't worship freely. And he basically says, listen, people, I see a day. If we will work together, if we'd pull together, I see a day when Jehovah's going to be worshipped, Yahweh is going to be worshipped again. I see a day when we will be a unique people again. I see a day of security and safety and freedom, and we will be God's people, and he will bless us the way he has in times of the past. And he casts a vision. I want to say to your friends, often when God raises you up to do the impossible, you see the need and you pray and you step out in faith and you know there's opposition coming, often God wants to raise a team around you. Often God wants other people in the church with other gifts and other ministries to stand alongside you to bring that thing about. And it usually happens when you start by faith declaring the future God's showing you through your prayer. When you start saying, God, you've given me these strategies and you show me this is what can be if we just trust in you and obey you. And when you start sharing vision, that's what vision is, a specific picture of the future. All of a sudden you find people start to volunteer. Resources start to come in, the right gifts start to happen, the right networks start to form and you see the hand of God on it because you've stepped out in faith. You've acted with faith, you've acted with courage and God honours you. I've seen it happen so often in churches I've seen that happen in families. I've seen that happen in business. I've seen that happen in networks of friendships and social groups as well. When the vision comes, and it's come from God, and you share the vision, that vision inspires people to release their gifts and their ministries to run with you. Friends, I was so grateful for Pastor Don's word starting the service about the yoke being perfectly fitted. There are so many people who are tired, and I'm often tired too. And we're tired because we're doing maybe more or something that's slightly off track to what God has for us. I actually believe this, that God will have you and I do the impossible in this generation if we listen for his voice, if we perceive the need, if we pray, if we step out in the faith and obey. I believe he wants to do that. We will make a supernatural difference in our communities far more than what we'd ever imagine. But it starts with perceiving the need. And it starts with a heart that says, God, as you show me, I'm willing to believe you for the impossible. I'm willing to co-labor with you. I want you to stand, friends, just for a minute. Just stand with me. You turn on the news and you go, wow, these are difficult times. And they are. None of it's a surprise, though. When you study Bible prophecy, none of it's a surprise. You and I are in that season before the final season. You've been chosen for this hour. And you've been placed in families and homes and situations 
where God wants to use you to make a difference. I'm going to pray a really simple prayer. We're going to wait for 10, 20 seconds for God to respond. And the simple prayer is going to be this, that God will show you where your sphere of influence is, that you'll see a need, that you'll see a situation that you're, maybe you already know it, but you're really upset by it and you think it's got to change. And that's the starting point for just moving into the things God wants you to do in this time, in this generation. Father, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, we just thank you that you've blessed every Christian with spiritual gifts and ministry. And we don't fit in the tidy little boxes, Lord God. You make us all different. And you cause us to be born for this hour, for this season. And Lord, we could just be frustrated. Or we could acknowledge you are a great God and you are doing new things and raise up your church to really have an impact in this time. And we want to pray a simple prayer, Lord, saying, use us. So, Lord, we pray for every one of us that you'd whisper now. Where is the area of influence? What is the need? What's upsetting us right now, Lord? That's step one. Identify where you'd have us serve. Father, I ask that for every one of my brothers and sisters now standing in this auditorium, that you bring to mind a family, a people group, a business situation something in the church, whatever it is, where you would have them make a difference, where they perceive and know things aren't what they could be. In Jesus' name. And whatever picture, whatever situation, whatever group God brought to your mind, I want you to share that with someone before the day's out. Tell them, look, it might be impossible, but I really feel God wants me involved in this political arena, or in this group of people, in this business situation. Then start praying. Start praying. Then get ready to step out in faith and speak opposition. Get ready for God to develop a vision in your heart and your, in your mind toward that thing. But you are destined for this time. God wants a church where 100% of the church is involved in ministry. And in this season of shaking, in this season of discomfort, what would happen if God raised you and I up and his body up to be the church we're called to be in all the arenas we're called to serve in? Lord bless you. Stay right standing, friends. I'll ask Isaac to come forward and lead us in our last song. This might be a frustrating season, but it could be the most exciting season in your life. Well, you do what God wants you to do, and you see much fruit through it.